Hello everyone, we're Superhero Stuff You Should Know, and if you think you know about superheroes and comic books, think again. We got romance, we got action, romance. we got comedy, we got everything you need, man. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know for all your superhero needs. Uh, ro I, I don't know about this romance, what part are you talking about? We've got all kinds of sketches, and then deep dives on top of that. Come on down to Superhero Stuff You Should Know! Alright, so come on down to wait, why did I say come on down? To Superhero Stuff You Should Know. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. Welcome back to YA OK. I am Alyssa. And we have Eric. And here. I am Eric J. <laughs> we are uh, joined today to talk about Skater Boy, which is a book written by Anthony Noreda. Did I say that right? Narada? Narada. Narada. Like, like Nevada. Nevada. And which is where he kind of was in between when he got the idea for it. Yes, between Nevada and Phoenix, he said, which is crazy. Yeah. He was doing a very, very long road trip. Um, I loved learning about his book and his whole writing process. And um, I think that we are also two for two on people who write in a less chaotic way than you do, Eric. Yeah, both of them. <laughs> you know what? I need to get somebody who does an outline on this show. Because yeah. now I look like a psychopath. <laughs> Just it's like so funny. Panting all my way, all the way to like a hundred thousand words. And then I have two people yeah. who are outlining books and then writing like 65,000 word drafts. Like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I I'm think not represented in this podcast. Well, you know, there's always going to be more episodes and I think that that's the representation that we need. Yeah. Representation matters. And I think so. I think yeah. we need some Panthers on here. I would agree. Anthony's book is called Skater Boy and he was inspired by Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy, and he's Canadian. Yes. And who knows if Avril Lavigne really is Avril Lavigne anymore. What's her name? What's Is it Melissa? Melissa? Is, is that the, the, conspiracy? Is the conspiracy name, I think? I've always like heard about it, but I've never actually done a deep dive because I'm like, oh, that's completely ridiculous. I like that. And I just leave it there. <laughs> it's, I don't, yeah, I think that that's a fair attitude to have. We talked a little bit about conspiracy theories and how I prefer one that's just like completely harmless and means nothing to no one. Um, and that's one of them for sure. Although I did accidentally, I don't remember if I told you this story yet. I don't think I did, but I accidentally almost went down a path of a flat earth theory because oh someone, someone on TikTok was talking about how in Antarctica, there's like a wall, the Arctic wall. And apparently on the other side of the wall is where there's like all of these other like islands and shit where all the rich people are and like Tupac is there and like all this stuff. And I was like, wow, that's a wild theory. And of course, 
I'm like, that feels like that harms no one. I'm just going to keep looking. And then I went on YouTube and I looked it up to see if like anyone had done any, and it was immediately flat earth. And I was like, oops, I went too far. I had to back my way out of there. <laughs> I was like, we're not doing that. <laughs> immediately ran out. Oh, so they mean there is a wall and then it's the complete opposite side of the flat earth. That's what, okay, got it. I guess it. so, yeah. Yeah, whatever it was, that's where it led me. And I I dipped out of there really quick. What is your favorite like non-harmful conspiracy theory? I, the Avril Lavigne one might be it because it's really not hard. It's really not harmful at all. It's just like so silly. Do you have a favorite conspiracy theory aside from aside from the Avril Lavigne so, one? I did have one, and I completely forget what it is now. I have to like, I have to like look up what it was because there was like there was somebody talking about it on Twitter. I think yeah, where they were like, "What do you think? Like, what's your favorite conspiracy theory that isn't rooted in anti-Semitism or isn't harmful to anybody?" Yeah, and there was like it was this like little thread of all of them and. Some of them I was like, there was one that like specifically I thought, I was like, oh my God, that's really cute. I kind of wish that was real. <laughs> that's really And now cute. I can't remember what it was. And like I even, even when I Google non-harmful conspiracy theory, I can't find it. Well, there's just a whole list of conspiracy theories, but. There's one about Nicolas Cage being a vampire from the Civil War era, which is. Oh yeah, I did see that one. Wild. What are we doing? <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. And then he came and played uh, Dracula in that Nicholas Holt movie. <gasps> Renfield. That's what it is. That's probably, I'm assuming that's got to be connected in this whole theory. I haven't yeah, dug into that whole theory. He's I just was... trying to throw us off. Yeah. He's also in Dead by Daylight. His character is in Dead by Daylight now, the video game. Okay, see, he's hinting it to us. He's like, it's like yeah. a little wink every now and then. Mm -hmm. Now and then. He's like, he the real ones know. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, let's talk so... to Anthony about Skater Boy and only just a little bit about conspiracy theories before yes. this turns into like a UFO podcast. <laughs> So today we have Anthony Dorada, his debut, Skater Boy, comes out February 6th. Uh, and Anthony, can you just like give us a pitch of it? So tell us about Skater Boy. Yeah, totally. So Skater Boy follows the life of resident bad boy Wesley Big Mac McKenzie as he, you know, stumbles and navigates through his senior year of high school. Um, when, when readers are first introduced to him, Wes is like going down a really bad path in his life. Like he's, he's failing miserably in his classes. He's setting things on fire and he just doesn't really know where he fits in the grand scheme of things. And it's, it's really not until he meets out and proud ballet dancer or ballerino Tristan that Wes really starts to realize that like he can be more than what the world has told him he is. And and there's so much more outside of high school life for him. And he just has to open himself up to those experiences. I love that. Thank you for coming in today. I'm excited to talk about this book. Yeah, thank you for having me. So what was the inspiration for it? Like, what did you, what made you, what like kind of sparked the idea where you're like, oh, that's what I'm going to write about. Was it Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy? How involved <laughs> was Avril Lavigne's Skater Boy in the creation of this book is my first Yeah, because you are Canadian, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> I, I am, I am a true bred Canadian and 
the song, of course, like, how can <laughs> I ever avoid that? Um, I'll, I'll say the song and the basic premise of the ballerino and the punk skater boy is kind of where it ends. Like, it, mm -hmm. it, it evolved to its own kind of story. But yeah. um, my journey for this story was very, very specific. Like, I can pinpoint it to the exact moment when I ideated this, this story. And that was on a five-week road trip home from Orlando, Florida, back to Vancouver, BC, where I'm from. Um, my fiance and I, we spent a year working at Walt Disney World down in Orlando, and we decided at the end of the program that we would just take our time, see all of, as much of the states as we can, because like whoever has an opportunity to drive across the states for five weeks. So we were on our trip, and it was between Nevada and Arizona that Avril's song came on, and I was just transported um, to this time when I was a kid in the back of my parents' car where I would always like sing my heart out in the back seat. I have a vivid memory of my older sister being like, stop singing so loud, like we can't <laughs> even hear the artist. But like, to me, my the back of my family's car was very much like my auditorium. That's where I shone. And and so, I, so when I thought about it and I was thinking about the time when I was closeted and, and in that car and when I would switch the pronouns, in the songs that I was singing in my head so that I could experience those happy ever afters. I just, it just dawned on me in that car ride. I was like, this would be an incredible queer love story. And it would be an incredible YA queer love story if I had a punk and a ballerino. And so from there, I was like, I, I switched off the, the song and I was like, stop talking. It was my, my fiance and my, our friend from Norway in the back seat. And I was like, stop talking. I need to focus. And <laughs> that, that stretch of driving, I fleshed out exactly what I was going to write to the point where like 75 to 80% of that storyline is still in the book today because I was wow. so, I, I just saw it in my head and I'm like, I'm going to go for it. I yeah. love that. You were like, everyone shut up. Yeah, yeah, yeah say really anything like, frivolous. Yeah. I was like, my creativity is going, like, you guys all need to be quiet. Oh my God. And everybody's just sitting there like, oh, we should just be I quiet, know. right? They were like, what about, what about this? No. <laughs> Shut up. I, lo I love the idea of like Avril Lavigne's skater boy being on, and that was like the catalyst for you being like, everyone be quiet. And everyone was like, oh my God, what's going on? Oh my God. Yeah. I, love, I love how that whole story came to be. Do you remember what state you were in when you were doing, that's a long drive yeah it was a really long drive and I remember like 10 to 12 hour days of driving mm -hmm. and like we have never never tried to do that since because that yeah. is just way too much but uh, um, yeah I, I was between Nevada and Arizona some oh yeah, Nevada and Arizona. Mm -hmm. yeah okay wow yeah. that is such a great story I love that yeah thank you <laughs> so were you uh in college were, or college high school were you um more of one were you a your punk were you setting things on fire i mean or were you a ballerino <laughs> for that matter? yeah right and it's a good question because people who have known me my entire life who have read skater boy are like where the hell did all this anger come from like this is so not you because yeah. i I was student council president in high school. Like I was involved in all the extracurricular activities. Like I loved drama, though I was never in any of the productions mm -hmm. um, because I would, I mean, that's a whole other story. But um, yeah, I was very much like a go-getter, like an a, a plus student. I mean, I had, my entire head was spiked with gel and I was like, I wore camo and I was like in love with like My Chemical Romance and, okay. and Disco and Avril. 
but to an ex for to the exterior to the outside world i was very much like a plus goody two shoes <laughs> so it's very funny that this ends up being my debut that's so funny Punk but aesthetic but really nice exactly yeah. no, but that's like honestly i was i was part of the whole like emo kid scene when i was in high school and i feel like that was the vibe like everyone was emo so everyone was just like very emotional and we just yeah. wanted to like you know wear our, our little like camo hot topic whatever right? and and still be overachievers moonlight as as um as an as something scarier than that but also um this is your debut novel and before this you were working in pr i think i saw is that right yeah well uh my background is in communications and public relations okay. i have I have a diploma in publishing, I have a diploma in public relations, and I have oh a God. bachelor's degree in psychology. Wow. And so, yeah, I was doing, I was doing odd PR jobs in downtown Vancouver here and there, but nothing like really spoke to me. And that's why I just quit everything and drove down to Disney World for a year because I was Love like, that. I don't want to face reality. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, 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 I'm currently working as a town acquisition coordinator in recruitment for um, the visual effects company underneath the Disney umbrella, Industrial Light and Magic. So cool. I'm very much still kind of in that realm. Like I run the social media for Lucasfilm and um, Industrial Light and Magic on LinkedIn. But outside of that, I, I am not in that world really anymore. That's very cool. Well, I did um, exactly one PR internship and that sparked enough rage for me to write a book where there was lots of rage in it, I think. So that was where my yeah. mind went. I was like, oh, that's where the rage is from, PR. Hey, good. That's a good good idea because one of my clients in my internship was like a gas company. And I remember yeah. turning to like my coworker and being like, we're working for the devil. Like, yeah. You know that, right? You're working for the bad guys. Yeah. And I was like, how did I end up here? Yeah, that's where the rage came from. Now we know. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Wanting to set things on fire with exactly. gasoline from the company that you were doing, doing PR for. Uh, this all makes sense, though. Yeah. So. It's all coming together. It always yeah. does. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad you found like a healthy outlet that also pays yeah. you. So. Right? Exactly. <laughs> Uh, so one of the major themes in this book is about identity, but specifically within the queer community. And I know that like with Wes, he kind of like struggles with feeling like, oh, well, I'm not gay enough or and like there's um like Tristan who is doing like ballet and people can look at him and be like, oh, well, he's he's obviously gay because he's doing ballet. And it's like. Why do you think we as humans feel the need to kind of fit specific molds of what a queer person looks like or acts like or what they enjoy? Because it's like there's so many like parts of like media and people who just say, oh, well, this is not gay enough or, or this is too gay. And it's mm -hmm. like, I just hate hearing about that. But like, why do you think we need to kind of put people in boxes like that? Oh yeah, that, that's a great question. And I think it has so many layers and we could yeah. probably talk about this forever. But in general, what I think this boils down to is it, it's just human nature for us to desire or seek like a sense of belonging. You know, you, we, we all want to belong to something, whether that's like a specific group or, or like a, a particular subset of people that share the same interests or passions or commonalities, what have you. Um, and what I find so interesting about that and, and actually quite polarizing in the queer community specifically is that we are often fed in the media one like very specific mold of a queer person. And that queer person, you know, 
especially when I was growing up, like that queer person is usually white, uh, promiscuous, and like has ripping, rippling six pack. Like, like, and, and if you don't fit that mold, it's like, what, what does that say to that kid, that closeted kid watching? And like, what does that say when you don't feel you see yourself in the, in the media? And so I, I think it's really, it's really hard because at the, on the one hand, like we all want to believe we belong to something and we all seek that validation. But when you don't see yourself in the media or you don't see yourself in the friend groups that you're with, it's like, it can be very isolating and polarizing, especially in the queer community. Yeah. And especially like for like teens, I'm, I'm glad that there are books like this because teens who, I mean, we as adults can look at somebody and be like, oh, what, you think I'm not gay enough? Okay, I don't care. It doesn't matter what you think. But like teens might have that in their head where they're like, oh, well, I am not, I'm not interested in drag race. I think it's fine, but I'm not, I don't like watching it that much. And then you can have other kids who are like really into drag race and might even be straight. Like, I don't feel like we need to put everybody in these boxes that say Mm -hmm. what is too queer or not queer enough. But I think that teens need to be kind of shown that like there's plenty of the whole, the, the entirety, the entire umbrella of, queer culture we can fit under and we can go anywhere within that. Yeah. I always think it's weird when people are talking about, um, and it's always a straight man talking about a gay friend or whatever. And they'll be like, but you would never know that they're gay. I'm like, what does that even mean? Do you ask people that? That's so weird. Like you just say like, like, would you imagine like introducing yourself the way, hi, I'm Alyssa and I'm gay. Like you would never do that. So what does that even mean? You would never even know. Like if they don't act that gay, what does that mean? It's just so silly. And I, I appreciate having the representation of somebody like Wes because then it, gives like you guys like you were saying like an example of just a different way to represent what we see in the media which is honestly what we see in the media is just really silly and just homophobic that all of the gay people that you ever meet are going to be like extremely feminine and um have to conform to this one little like prototype it's just silly yeah i mean I used to work in the restaurant industry and oh, I would have so many guests be like, oh, like you don't look gay. And I'm like, that's oh, psychotic. Well, <laughs> what does that look like to you? Like, what do you mean? What, what should I look like? Right. And so, but, but, but it's true. Like I totally struggled as a kid because I never felt like I was gay enough to be a gay man. And I never mm. felt like I was straight enough to be, of course I was not straight enough to be a straight man. So <laughs> I was Mr. always Mark. grappling with, yeah, just, just a lot. <laughs> but I was always like, well, where, who are my people then? Because I don't really resonate with anyone mm. if that's what you're saying. And, and that was very much one of my major drives with, with Skater Boy and Wes particularly, because we often are told about the angry gay guy, but it usually ends in death or prison. Like, like there are very minimal stories that end happily for these people. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's not fair. I don't believe that is fair for a character like Wes, because you can make mistakes, but you can grow and you can learn from those mistakes. Like you, you shouldn't have to be stuck in that label as a punk, as a hothead, just because of circumstantial things in your life that have dictated that that's how you should react in that moment. And so I really wanted to explore what that would look like in a teenager who has his whole life ahead of him, but is so constrained and 
and feels like he's suffocating underneath these labels that that he's been given by the outside world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. It's like a kind of dismantling toxic masculinity for Wes and like kind of getting him out of there in, in a like healthier headspace. Yeah, absolutely. And and I do that too with a, a few other my other characters. Like Wes is a part of a three guy group named the Tripod. They they affectionately call themselves the Tripod. And love it. They 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 all are struggling with toxic masculinity in, in different forms. And I really wanted to explore how that looks like for these three different characters who have these three very different lived experiences as well. Because toxic masculinity is not talked enough about, I think. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. And I think even like the nuances of it, talking about toxic masculinity, even within the queer community and how it still represents within the queer community is also not a conversation that's being had enough. And I feel like, like I see it a lot on like the feminism side of social media, where they'll say like toxic masculinity affects everybody. It affects straight people. It affects, it affects everybody. But to have the conversation in the queer community is kind of new. So that's great that you like that, that was a focus and kind of a priority in story building like that. Yeah. Thank you. I I always like to say that this book is very much, Wes is very much more grumpy than he is sunshine. And, and mm-hmm. I really wanted just to tell this perspective from that, from mm-hmm. that point of view. That is one of my favorite tropes too. I love grumpy sunshine. Grumpy it's, sunshine. Right? It's like, it's kind of like the opposites attract kind of thing. And I just think it's so perfect. Yeah. It yeah. Works. yeah. I agree. <laughs> uh, so this kind of, we touched on it a little bit, but Wes's growth in this book, it kind of, it, it, Reminded me of a few things that I've seen in some rom-coms and I think I'm seeing it more in adult than YA. I think we're slowly kind of catching up into YA where it's not just about like the, um, the love interest doesn't create the change. It's not Mm -hmm. the reason for the change. It's like the person actually chooses to change themselves because they see themselves become a better person this way. And maybe the catalyst for that is them falling in love with this person, but they're not changing for love. They are changing maybe because they are in love or it's, it's not just that kind of like, oh, well, the only way I can change is if this specific person changes me and that's it. Like, I love that. It's not like that. It's more, I'm going to change for myself because I'm trying to figure out who I am as a person. Yeah, yeah, I I resonate with that a lot because in the editing of Skater Boy with my editor and really like peeling back those layers of him, my biggest struggle in writing this book was creating a believable, angry character that people could relate to and like want to root for by the end of the story. That's a fine line too, because you could piss people off very early. Oh, how fast I blocked Goodreads because I knew that <laughs> it was going to happen. I knew it. It's like it was it was inevitable. People people want the sunshine characters. They don't really want the grumpy, especially if they're like grumpy. Yeah. <laughs> On the first page of Skater Boy, like Wes is confronting another kid who's about to get him in trouble. And like it can produce a visceral reaction. Like I wanted people to have a visceral reaction to that because I wanted you to see him at point A at the beginning of the story, and hopefully you learn to love him by point B, right? Mm-hmm. And so it, it it was really fun to explore that. But but when I started writing the story, like I just wanted it to be a lighthearted rom com. Like I did not expect it to be the story that it ended up being. But when Wes 
showed me his like true colors like when he started like yelling at me on the page i was like okay how do i take this character that readers are like genuinely probably gonna hate at the beginning and like craft a story around him that leaves them also feeling satisfied and what it boiled down to for the most part was like if west doesn't love himself first like how is he or or you know like learns to love himself how is he going to do that and and by falling in love with someone else mm. and so and especially with tristan like w with a person who challenges him to his very core just by asking him like questions that no one has ever asked him before like really like what what do you want to do with your life like how do you see yourself what are you passionate about like you were very talented at this without giving any spoilers and like why don't you try exploring that and, and it's only when like he asks those questions that Wes is like oh like maybe I can do those things like maybe I, I can challenge what I think of myself and how the world sees myself sees me and like reconcile those two images and so yeah it was a really cool exploration of character for on my part anyway that's very cool especially because um I talk a lot about I do like relationship and sex education stuff that kind of thing on social media and whatever Love it. and so one of the things that i've talked about is that you don't necessarily need to be like completely healed and like this final finished version of yourself to find love and be in love with someone and have healthy relationships but what has to happen is that kind of communication where like you can find oh. vulnerability and trust within each other and like you don't have to show up to every relationship a completely finished product and i think you end up building really deep, meaningful connections when you end up bringing that out in each other. So I love that that's like, that's represented there too. And, and, and I love that you say that too, because I, I mean, I'm going to give some spoilers because my two favorite lines in this book is when um, Tristan says to Wes, like maybe there is vulnerability in truth and, and being truthful to who you are. And another one where Wes is ma, who is like my favorite character in my entire book. She <laughs> says to Wes, like maybe being who you are is uh, like being in the middle of who you are and who you who you want to be. And I think that's a beautiful answer to this question too. Mm -hmm. Like in order to go through your character growth, your character arc, like you need to realize what's important to you and you need to realize how you're going to get to point B when you are so stuck in point A. Yeah. And point B is a goalpost that always, it always is moving. Like you're always going to, you're going to reach that. Yeah, yeah. You'll reach that goal. And then you'll be like, actually, I think that I could be an even better person, an even better version of myself. And you're going to keep pushing and moving like that. So I like that. I like that mindset of like, you're, you, I think you're forever in the middle of who you, who you were and who you're trying to be. And that just like, moves up <laughs> the bracket just keeps moving as you keep growing i think that's very cool Absolutely. yeah hello everyone we're superhero stuff you should know and if you think you know about superheroes and comic books think again we got romance we got action romance. we got comedy we got everything you need man come on down to superhero stuff you should know for all your superhero needs uh, ro I, I don't know about this romance what part are you talking about we've got all kinds of sketches and then deep dives on top of that come on down to superhero stuff you should know all right so come on down to wait why did i say come on down to superhero stuff you should know you've been lost in the woods for hours now stumbling around in the dark you come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. 
Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. I also love that you said that uh, like Wes was telling you mm. who he was like while you were writing it. Screaming at you. It's one of those things. <laughs> it's it's just it's one of those things that as a writer you can't like it sounds weird when you say it. it's like, oh no, the character yeah. did this. It really wasn't me. Because everyone's like, what do you mean? You created them. And it's like there is some kind of like little bit of magic where they are still their own person because they're telling you and like you will be writing like you'll write an entire draft and you'll be like why isn't this working i can't figure out what's working and it's because you're trying to push the character to do something that you want them to do when they are not that kind of person they're not mm -hmm. that kind of character they can't do that so like you do have to listen to your character as you're writing it because they will tell you this is what i'm gonna do and then if it's like if you want to change the book and you want to like turn it into keep like whatever outline if you outline beforehand you still need to listen to them and say okay well then how do i get you where you are into where i need you to be for the book and how is that going to work exactly. how did it work for you actually that's a good question <laughs> was it difficult like was during uh editing or was it pretty much like that moment you got the inspiration you kind of figured out who the character was and then he was like this is every this is my whole story right here yeah no no definitely uh, <laughs> when i sold skater boy to soho team like my my draft that they got and they bought was was so like wes was such a he was such a prick and i had to like <laughs> dial it back almost because he like the amount of f words and like i had to remove from this book were astounding but um yeah i what my editor did really well and she's like my guardian angel like she really made me sit back and sit in the feelings of wes in every chapter i am a chronic underwriter like my, the draft that they bought was like sixty-eight thousand words uh and i stupidly just assumed that people would know what Wes was thinking in XYZ moments. And my editor was really, really good at, at telling me like, okay, like sit back and like, what would he actually be feeling right now? And what would he actually be doing right now? And, and so I had to do a really big deep dive into his character while I was in the middle of my revisions and my like deadlines. But I think it, I think it ended up being a really beautiful like it, the end result ended up being really beautiful because I, I really did peel back those layers and, and see what made him tick. And I, I hope it, I hope it worked on the page. <laughs> well, from what I've seen so far, it has absolutely. Oh, thank you. <laughs> how many, so how many F words did end up in the book? <laughs> I, you know what, actually, as I was saying that, I'm like, I, I probably should do a count because it was, it was very likely over 100, and I'm sure there's only like 20 now. Oh. I did a search. I think in my debut, I did a search, and I think I had like 87 at one point. Damn. And I think I did cut it down to, I, I want to say around 40 or 50. I yeah, that's a good threshold. Because <laughs> like, it's, I mean, I probably could have kept it in. I'm not sure if your editor told you to take out 
F words. Like, mm, you probably used it too much. But it's like, it's one of the things that I'm thinking when I'm rereading the book where I'm like, oh, I did just use the F word like two pages ago. Maybe I shouldn't <laughs> yeah. use it that much. Yeah. I mean, we yeah, can get yeah. away with it. They're not going to tell us, oh, you can't. I actually, for my third book, I got away with the C word. I put wow. it in there twice. It's in the word wow. cuntiness. But okay. yeah. it was just the fact I was like, I was like, kind of started typing out bitchiness and I was like, I'm going to see if I can get away yeah. with this. Nobody has flagged it yet. So that's so funny. Hey, that word is Australia's F word. So really. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, and in the UK too, they use it like it's nothing. Yeah. yeah. There you go. We're getting on board in the US. I like it. I like it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so, so funny. Really. <laughs> so. This is your debut. What was your road to publishing like for you? Like, what was the querying process? And then, like, walk us through the submission process as well. Because you've already kind of touched on the editing process. Yeah, uh, it was long. <laughs> I <laughs> finished my very first novel in 2009, 2010. Um, so, and, and I landed an agent with Skater Boy in, 2010, in 2020. So it took me 10 years of writing and querying and being rejected over and over again until I land my agent. I actually participated in the, what then was known as Twitter contest DV pit. And so like diverse voices, you, you pitch your book and, and you try to get agents attentions. And I just happened to include the lyrics of Avril Lavigne, but I changed it to be queer coded oh. and people just loved it enough that it was like one of the trending topics in that days DV pit. And so I got a lot of attention from that moment after 10 years of like nothing. Wow. And so I, I ended up landing my, my, uh, what was then my agent and, and we edited the book for a couple months and then we went out on submission to editors, uh, like right on the onset of black lives matter, mm. the black lives matter movement and the pandemic and publishing coming to a roaring halt. Ugh. And so I spent two years on on submission before oh. before Skater Boy sold. So by the time this book hits bookshelves on February sixth, it will really be four and a half years old. Wow, <laughs> in a very long time. Wait, I'm not in the book industry. So what does on submission mean? Yeah, that means that you're once you have an agent and you've polished up your manuscript to the best it can be. Mm -hmm. um, your agent then shops that book around to editors uh, okay. in publishing houses in North America, around the world, what have you. And then with the hopes that they'll then buy that book and go to acquisition. Got it. Got it. Okay. Okay. I'm learning a lot of my... It's usually a really long process. Um, I will say you had to have a similar trajectory as me. Um, I remember seeing your pitch on DV Pit as well, because I was oh. on Twitter at the time. I, I think I didn't like it because you're not allowed to like it unless you're an editor or something like That's that. Right. So I, I think I did like, retweet it though. <laughs> I, I finished my first novel in 2009 or 2010, um, got rejected for about 10 years and then signed with my agent in 2019. Um, we went on submission February of 2020. But again, my debut was uh, a novel about two queer teens who survive a viral pandemic that wakes <laughs> up most of the world's population. Yeah. So in February of 2020, everyone was like, oh, yeah, we want to see that immediately. Yeah. So my, submission, <laughs> uh, my submission process, I feel awful for everybody else. I feel very thankful for myself because I was yeah. only on submission for three weeks. 
So yeah, I mean, don't hate me. Please don't <laughs> no, hate me. But it was just, it was just timing. And I will say that's, I think 90% of finally getting that like deal is just luck. It's mm. luck that you have the right agent with the right editor at the right time. And then all of those things finally come together. And that is what makes your book sell. Because mm. I mean, mm-hmm. like you said, you, you were on submission for what, two years so it's like you just needed to like needed those like last that probably like the one editor who finally got a chance to look at it and went, you know what? I really like this. I'm in the mood for a story like this right mm. now. I want to buy yeah. this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, it is honestly all about stars aligning. And I wouldn't take yeah. my experience away for anything because my publishing house and my editor have been god said like they they have been such an incredible team to work with right from the get-go and i always say like my book a lot of people have said like oh this is so like nostalgic there's there's early 2000 punk pop chapter titles like it's about i mean it's about skater boy like there's a lot to be said about it that evokes nostalgia and while that's amazing and that was obviously one of my goals with naming it skater boy and centering it around that i don't think this book would have sold in the early days of YA queer novels exploding the way that they did in 2016, yeah. 17, 18, because mm-hmm. who's going to want to read about an angry gay? Like the, the appetite <laughs> for that has evolved. And these, you know, these like My Chemical Romance revivals and like the emo oh, yeah. and punk scene, like being revived, like this is the perfect moment for this book to come out. And so it was brutal while it was happening, but I'm so thankful that this book is coming out now when it is. I'm yeah. I'm a big believer that there's a plan for everything and I totally agree that like that's like a perfect perfect scenario for you especially now that everyone's getting obsessed with the having a, their own little emo phase which that <laughs> revival alone I'm like I am not old enough for you to be reviving things that I did in middle school I can know. we relax <laughs> oh I know I know it is it's wild and it's wild to see like artists like fallout boy come back with new albums and mm-hmm. and like Avril Lavigne going on tour and i'm like oh my gosh like my cd is so worn out from your first cd yeah like, i cannot believe that you're like coming back yeah i can't believe it i also am not fully convinced that it's actually her there's a whole conspiracy theory do you know about that uh, oh i know all about Mel- melanie or melissa mm-hmm. or whatever <laughs> yeah. i I love a silly conspiracy theory. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, yeah. I'm sold. And that one, I was like, that's hilarious. I like this. Um, <laughs> oh, Does she lean into it? Like, I oh, know yeah. she knows in, about it. In, okay, good. <laughs> in true punk pop fashion, Avril is all for it. I love She's it. Like, yeah. Yeah. She'll hint at Melanie. She'll hashtag Melanie. I'm like, I'm obsessed with you. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Enough to write a book. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, my God. That's so funny. That's such a good sure. revival. Right. So you were on submission for so long. Did you were you able to work on other projects at the same time, like to come? Oh up yeah, with like your next. Oh book? yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Skater Boy was actually the fourth book that I had ever written, and in the time that Skater Boy was on submission, I also wrote two and a half books as well. So I have since, after finishing editing with my editor and sending Skater Boy off, like I've finished book two and that's on submission right now with my editor or with my agent and I just over the holidays finished editing book three and so my my agent's reading that right now and so 
we'll see what happens. <laughs> that is one thing that I will say to any uh, listeners who are aspiring writers. During the submission process, while it is taking forever, just work on the next thing. Because yeah. you're going to get to a point when you sell that book and you're under deadlines on editing that book. And then as soon as you finish and you turn it in, they're going to want to see what your next project is. You'll probably have an option or another they might include another book in the deal. And writing on deadline is a whole different other animal than writing a book that like you're kind of working through and figuring out for yourself. Like you have that kind of freedom and time to just kind of write it, see where the story is going. And then if it even works, sometimes you finish a book and you're like, mm, this isn't working and I don't know why. And usually time is better for those kinds of things too. Cause then you get like, um a little bit of like distance from it and you can figure it out later like with my first book i think it was it took me about three years before i finally realized what was wrong with it and it was the entire second half of the book <laughs> the entire second half it. yeah i just had to rewrite it that's all <laughs> that's wild see i like i love reading i used to really like writing when i was like in in school and now since then i don't really write a ton but yeah like sometimes i don't think that i could be like create like stretch my creativity enough to build a whole story and i'm sure that there are like tools to like and processes like help kind of figure that all out but being creative enough to have several different stories i just know myself and i would end up writing the same story 800 times <laughs> and what they say a lot of the times too is that like writing your second book is the hardest one because you're starting to be perceived with your first book and and people yeah. are commenting on them and 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 those things start swirling in your head when you're trying to just ideate your next story and so i was really thankful even in my querying days like i i always framed it in my head as like oh, it's, it's not if I'm going to become an author one day, it's when I'm going to become an author. So mm -hmm. framing that in my head, I was always just going to write the stories that I wanted to write. And I never really worried about what what would happen after I finished a book and it was on submission or being queried. And so I think it really helped that I already had a second and third book written by the time that Skater Boy had sold because I had time to just let those simmer in the mm -hmm. back burner. And, and while I was learning to hone my craft more with my editor on Skater Boy, I could then go back to those books and, and sharpen yeah. them even further with the skills I had already learned. Yeah, yeah that awesome. makes sense. I think even just writing my own, like re or reading my own book a million times, you know, like when you listen to your own voice and you're like, oh God, like, yeah. I, I wonder <laughs> if I would feel that way. Did you, did either of you feel that oh, way? No. You gave yourself the ick? Oh, no. I think it's, it's different enough through writing that, when I go to reread it, I'm reading it in the character's voice instead of my own. Okay. So like, even though I get comments all the time from people being like, oh, I can't see this character as anybody else but you. And it's like, mm -hmm. I get that because it's like, I do pull my own voice and sure. lend it to the characters, but I, mm -hmm. I'm still hearing different things mm. from them. But there will be other times, though, that I'll be, like, reading something. And I'll be like, oh, this is awful. No, I'll just delete it. And then there's other times where I'm reading a sentence and I'm like, what does this mean? This isn't even English. And I'm just like, no. That must have been when I was, like, on a writing marathon and tired and didn't know what I, to put down. So I just wrote something. And now it doesn't make sense anymore. That's so funny. Anthony, have you had that experience? I, I, yeah, I don't think I've ever, like, had, like, a visceral ick moment. Mm. But... But but it's true, like when you read your book 
50,000 times in the editing process. Like in this current moment, I never want to read this book ever again, <laughs> yeah. no matter how good I think it might be. But that's not to say that I'll pick it up later and be like, oh, I love this. Or like, ew, why did I write this yeah. sentence? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Time will tell. <laughs> yeah. I will say it's different if you listen to the audiobook. Mm. So if yes. you have not listened to that yet, listen to that I, when you like yes. after a couple weeks after it's been out. Because I do, I feel like even though I write these books, I will listen to the audiobooks. I did for the first one. I haven't listened to my second one yet. Um, but it just, it felt different, like, mm. while I was listening to it. I can't explain how, because I'm like, I knew what was going to happen because I wrote it. But it's just hearing somebody else kind of perform it. It just, it feels like a totally different thing. Yeah, I, I got to announce my audiobook narrator, uh, a couple of weeks ago and I have yet to hear his his take on it but when I was sent potential narrators to read my book I listened to like 30 seconds of Michael Crouch who I ended up picking and I was like this guy will will do whatever he needs to and I know it'll be perfect so I have a hold on my audiobook from my library <laughs> and I don't know if that's bad but I'm taking someone else's spot that's no. so funny you yeah. should, because then you also get royalties, because the licenses for audiobooks are based on how many times it's checked out. There you go. So if you check it out a certain See, amount of times, you get a royalty for I, it. So. I knew I liked you, Eric. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> the same for audio or the um, ebooks. Check it out for, on ebook every once in a while too. That's so funny. <laughs> I. It's also I'm happy that you get to choose the people who read your book like read your audiobook but it's also interesting because every now and then I'll get an audiobook and I'll listen to it I'm like oh my god that is not how I imagined this person to sound at all and now knowing that the author picked that person I'm like wow okay so my the way that I painted this person in my head is so different than the way that the author imagined it I think that's so interesting yeah it's like a whole it can be a whole theatrical process too with like when it comes to yeah audiobooks I like when they have like full casts that read it yeah. i'm like that's my goal one day to have a cast big enough and to be like popular enough of an author that they're like oh yeah we're gonna get like all of these well-known actors to come and read all of these parts yeah i was gonna say adam sass's uh latest release book your lonely nights are over has a cast and, and a narrator and it is so it's so immersive like i don't yeah. typically i i don't typically listen to audiobooks it's just not how my brain works i i yeah. envy people who do and who can listen to multiple ones at a time but uh adam's book was so engrossing to me because it was just such a cool like eerie vibe that they put onto it yeah are there any age groups or genres that you one day want to write but haven't been able to or is or are there any that you know you'll never write? Uh, I don't think I will ever, like, I'll never say never to anything. Like I said, like, I'm very much a mood writer. Like, if an idea strikes, like, comes to my head and it strikes me as something I want to pursue, I don't really care what the genre is. Like, my first two books that I ever wrote were fantasy, and I always assumed I would be a fantasy author. So it's very funny that I'm, like, YA contemporary. Um, but, uh, I, I, and I have an idea right now in my head that's, like, an adult speculative fiction. So I don't think anything's off the table, but for now I have YA books and YA contemporary romances that I'm pursuing. And I just think 
I'll carve out my space there first before I endeavor into anything else. What are you reading now? Oh, yes. I have it actually right here. I am reading The Space Between Here and Now by Sarah Souk. Ooh. Uh, Sarah, Sarah is uh, one of my good friends who is local. And it is about a girl who has sensory time warp syndrome, where she gets she travels back in time when she smells something linked to that memory. And I just think, like, I am so into speculative, and this is, like, right up my alley. So I just started it a couple days ago, So and it's been a wonderful read so far. That's very that. cool. Yeah, super cool. I love it. Alyssa, uh, while we're wrapping up, do you have any questions? Any last Ooh. questions? I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like I learned a lot about about this whole writing. Pro- I, every time we talk, I, I learn so much about the writing process. And that's been like a very exciting for me as a person who reads as much as I do now. But um, I, I also the have, point of our podcast. I know. But I also <laughs> have been thinking about how you were talking about how good people are mean. On, it's working. People are mean on Goodreads because I use Goodreads. I don't write, write any reviews, but I keep I use Goodreads to keep track of like what I'm reading. And I sometimes I'm, I look at the reviews. And I'm like, oh, my God, these people are people are very intense. And um, I had a friend who once he was on Twitter and then decided it was a bad neighborhood and no longer wanted to be on there anymore. I feel like maybe Goodreads is a bad neighborhood. <laughs> Uh, Goodreads is a bad neighborhood for authors. Like it's okay. not meant for authors. It's for reviewers and for readers. Mm-hmm. And uh, everyone, everyone who's published will always tell you, like, don't go on Goodreads. But you know, like, it's everyone's universal experience to be like, I can take it. I have yeah. such sin. Yeah. And then you just, you just get one. You get one review, and it's well it's over. <laughs> for a queer writer like me, it's it's like a Republican who doesn't get the story at all, and it wasn't written yeah. for them to begin with. And yeah. you're like, oh. Okay, I guess it's time to block this site off of everything I own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My favorite reviews. So I actually, I will say, I am in the. Uh, at one point, John Waters said, "Read all of your reviews. Uh, read your good reviews twice and your bad reviews once, and then never look at them again." I'm in that camp. I actually do read my reviews. Um, Sometimes I like, it's usually like the first couple weeks that the book is out. I'll just check in and be like, all right, how are people reacting to it? And then just to get an idea. But my favorite ones are always anybody who's like, oh, this book read like a YA and it just wasn't for me. Two stars. And I'm like, it read like a YA because (laughs) it very fucking clearly is a YA and it is marketed as such. What are you talking about? That makes me so angry. <laughs> no, Those I'm... are the ones I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> that I wish I was petty enough. I wish I was like secure enough in my uh, ability as an author to just like those ones, mm. like to go on as my <laughs> author account and like it. Yeah. But I also don't want to start shit. So I'm just like, okay. I know. I I am such a, I try so hard not to fight in the comments of things, but it, it happens occasionally. And like I did um, a Netflix show a couple years ago and when I, there's like a Reddit for it. So I went, I, I'm just a glutton for punishment. I was like, I need to know what people are saying. <laughs> so I went, and of course, it's the same exact thing. They tell you not to look. And I was like, well, obviously I have to look. So I looked. And for the most part, everything was really nice. But every now and then you would get these random things that would just be like, she thinks she's so good at this game and she's not even good at it at all. And I'm like, 
how did you even gather that from that? I don't know. How did you gather that? How did we get here? And I'm just sitting there like the little, the little icon in Reddit is like blinking at me and I'm like ready. And I'm like, I just need to take three deep breaths and walk away from this and then it'll be okay. I can't respond. So I don't know how you do that, Eric, because I like, you are stronger than, than uh, Anthony and myself because yeah. I can't, I'm, I'm too like fight immediately. I have no flight instinct. It's immediately fight. If it's something that gets under my skin, I'll screen cap it and send it to the group chat. Okay. We'll talk about it for like two minutes and then I'll just delete it from my phone and be over it. Okay. That's smart. Because That's I think smart. that helps. It's just being able yeah. to like talk to other people who are in the same kind of boat as you. So I just go to my author group chat and I'm like, yo, look at this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, that's, it's, that's what it's for. Like, that's what your kind of your network and your community is for. You can go and you can talk about that and be, like vent any kind of frustration that might be there. Mm -hmm. And then you're just, you feel better about it. Cause it does help if you, if there is something that really kind of sticks with you and it's like, well, you just didn't understand it. And I want to explain it to you. It's like, no, no, screen cap it, mm. send it to your friends and explain it to them. Yeah. Because they, regardless, are going to be like, you're right. You're right. You're yeah, right. Exactly. Absolutely. But if you argue on the internet, you're never going to be right. Honestly. Yeah. It's, I remember someone said once to me, if you are in an argument with a toddler, you're the dumbass, not the toddler. And I feel yeah. the same way about strangers on the internet. If you get into yeah. an argument with a stranger on the internet, you're the idiot. <laughs> it's you. Also, <laughs> There's the dead internet so, theory where these people aren't even real. They're all robots on the internet just creating things to keep people on the internet. See, that's a conspiracy that hurts me. So I don't I don't want to <laughs> engage with that one. Everly yeah, that's a conspiracy that will make me not be on the internet. <laughs> that's good. That yeah, one. no, I mean, that's a good thing. More writing. <laughs> I'm leaving that one in the dust, but I'm taking the Avril Lavigne one. Yeah. We should here. all take the Avril one, I mm -hmm. think. Yeah, I think so. All right. Well, while we're wrapping up, um, Anthony... Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, where yes. can people find you on the internet? That absolutely isn't dead and is full of real live yes. breathing people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for all the real people, not the trolls, uh, you can <laughs> find me on any social media channels at Anthony Narada. Uh, anyone who wants to stay up to date on my, my Skater Boy release or my book tour that's coming up can visit uh, www.anthonynarada.com. Yeah, awesome. And remember everybody listening, uh, Skater Boy, is out now. That's amazing. Yes. Congratulations on your debut being out in the world. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. This is this was a lot of fun. this is your first time listening make sure that you subscribe on whatever app you're listening to us on uh you can also contact us on instagram at yaok podcast and let us know what you think of the show and what you're reading uh send us a little mini review of what you're reading and maybe you'll hear us read it on the show but you have to be nice it can't be like those goodreads reviews that are like oh this was a ya book and i don't like ya then why are you reading it barbara put the book down Stop spending your money. Damn it, Barb. Go touch grass. Go touch grass. What are you reading now, Eric? I am reading The Misdirection of Fault Lines by Ana Gracia. It okay. is about um, three Asian teens who are at this uh, tennis invitational. And it's just about them being like 
trying to kind of figure out their messy lives while playing tennis. And oh. it's so funny. Uh, Anna is a friend of mine. She's probably going to be on the podcast one day. Yay! Maybe even just talk about this. Um, she wrote the book, uh, Boys I Know. Mm-hmm. And it was one of my favorite books of 2022. It came okay. out. It, it's, it's so funny. Alyssa, I think you would actually love it. I think I'm going to send you a copy. Okay. Because it's amazing. It's so funny. It. It's all about girls who are kind of figuring out how to um, kind of figure out the difference between sex and love in high school and also like dealing with kind of fuck boys, like just (gasps) getting in their way. I love that. So wonderful. I love that. Um, So I'm still reading my Court of Thorns and Roses book. I can't remember. I think it's Wings and Ruin is the one that I'm in. And that's just a long ass book. So I'm still, I'm still reading that, but I also am reading The Sex You Want by Rena Martine. And um, if you could only see the amount of tabs that I have going on in here, because it is so great and powerful. And um, she's had her own uh, like shameless sex coaching business on her own and has done some really amazing work for thousands of people. And so getting to actually read what she's doing in those sessions, one-on-one sessions is really special. And she also was a former... Um, deputy district attorney, which is crazy. She was a district Mm -hmm. attorney for like 20 years. And then uh, she ended up like getting a divorce, like hard reset her whole life. And now she does this instead. So she has amazing stories. The book actually starts with her um, paying for a dominatrix for the first time. So cool. (laughs) It's really cool. And there's like journal prompts and stuff. So there's lots of good learning moments in here too. And I've been enjoying every single page of it. And I can't wait to talk to her too. Anyway, thank you for joining us this week. And um, we will catch you next time. Welcome to my, oh my God. Welcome to, I didn't do it. Try it that again. It. Why did, I, oh. I, I was, oh, you I was trying to get up? it to do it, but the fireworks? didn't do it. Okay. Welcome right. to YA, okay. <laughs> Take three. Oh my gosh. Hello everyone. We're superhero stuff you should know. And if you think you know about superheroes and comic books, think again. We got romance. We got action. Romance. We got comedy. We got everything you need, man. Come on down to superhero stuff you should know for all your superhero needs. Uh, ro- I, I don't know about this romance. What part are you talking about? We've got all kinds of sketches and then deep dives on top of that. Come on down to superhero stuff you should know. All right. So come on down to... Su- Wait, why did I say come on down? To superhero stuff you should know. You've been lost in the woods for hours now, stumbling around in the dark. You come around the bend and see two people roasting marshmallows over a roaring fire. They see you coming into the clearing and gesture over to pull up a log. Welcome to Campfire Ashes. I'm Paul. And I'm Jess. Join us as we tell each other our originally written spooky stories around the campfire and then dive into the lore and legends that inspired them. Is it something that goes bump in the night? Is it something menacing lurking past the tree line? Or is it just weird and otherworldly? You'll find it here on Campfire Ashes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, or right here on the Geekscape Network. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 